Thomas Hargrove Murder Accountability Project. The Chicago Police Department and the FBI are now investigating 51 unsolved murders over the past two decades to determine whether they are the work of one or more serial killers. The murders share a number of characteristics. They're all strangulations. They took place on Chicago's south and west sides over the last two decades. All of the victims were women, and more than three quarters were African-American women. A nonprofit called the Murder Accountability Project, founded by journalist Thomas Hargrove, used a computer algorithm to identify this particular pattern of murders in Chicago. We wanted to learn more about the case since the investigation is picking up momentum and making headlines, finally making headlines, across the country. Murder. Murder accountability. That sounds like a good phrase, doesn't it? How about the Murder Accountability Project? When you hear what our next guest has done with the Murder Accountability Project, you're going to be so impressed. Thomas Hargrove has done some amazing work that is finally being recognized as far as helping us solve murders in our communities, showing patterns, perhaps serial killers that we didn't know exist, existed, and it's all done through a nonprofit. Thomas Hargrove started compiling homicide statistics with the hope that serial murder could be seen in data, and that could help solve crimes. And so with that basic information, uh, the uh, the um, Murder Accountability Project, we've gathered all of the records that the FBI has collected, and we gathered records that were not given to the FBI. The Uniform Crime Report and the Supplemental Homicide Report are voluntary reporting systems. Police are not required to report anything. Uh, they do this uh, because it's professional policing to report such data. We go to entire states that don't report to the FBI and compel them under Freedom of Information Act laws to report to us. And so we now have nearly uh, 29,000 case files of homicides that were that should have been reported to the FBI but weren't. Um, we now have gotten uh, records on 771,000 murders in the United States going back to 1976. It would be reasonable to assume that there is a federal agency, like the FBI, coordinating crime data statistics for the country. But it turns out there isn't. What we do have is um, a database that the FBI has been building for many years called the Supplemental Homicide Report. Uh, It is a supplement to the Uniform Crime Report, the other big database that the FBI produces about major crimes in the United States. Uh, Police chiefs, when they created the uh, Uniform Crime Report in the 1930s, decided uh, later on that we need more information about our worst crime, murder. And so they uh, instructed the creation of the Supplemental Homicide Report, which doesn't gather a lot of information, but it gathers this. The victim's age, race, sex, not the victim's name not the precise location where the, where the murder occurred. It does tell us the, um, the name of the law enforcement agency that was the lead investigative agency in the case. It tells us um, the weapon that was used to kill um, the, uh, the, the victim. It tells us um, the circumstances of the killing, which is the police theory as to why this murder occurred? Was it a robbery? Was it a rape? 
was it um, an, an argument over a gambling debt? Uh, the circumstances are a theory as to why the murder happened. And if somebody was arrested, uh, we get the age, race, and sex of the offender. Not a lot of information. It turns out it's enough. It's a challenge, and you know, I think people have a misconception as to how well-organized law enforcement is. Um, there is not a master list. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would be happy if Congress would someday come and put us out of business by creating well, an official murder accountability project. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. Tom recognized the need for murder accountability through his work as a journalist. Yeah, for 37 wonderful years, I was a, um, a newspaper reporter. And the last 25 of those years, I worked in Washington, D.C., and it really was one of the best jobs you could ever have. I, I guess the worst part of that job was the two and a half years that I was a White House correspondent. I really did not enjoy that. Um, but most of the time, I was able to be an investigative reporter, and that is just the best job in the world, and I, I had a wonderful, wonderful time. My first job was as a um, cub crime reporter. I I worked in Birmingham, Alabama as the weekend police reporter for the newspaper down there. And um, I was there in the late 70s and early 80s at the time of the Atlanta child murders. And the Atlanta Police Department was widely criticized for not uh, not recognizing that they had a pattern going on, that there were too many um, African-American youth being killed and the case is not solved. Um, and so I started attending a symposium uh, by criminologists looking into the Atlanta uh, case and learned that this is a phenomenon that's well known in criminology called linkage blindness, that it's very difficult for police to recognize that cases are connected. And so years later, I, I, I talked my editors in Washington, D.C. to do a year-long project looking into unsolved murder with the idea that we'd see if we could uh, develop an algorithm that might be able to detect serial murders within the FBI computer files of murders. And that was the project. Uh, It was a wonderful project that won a bunch of awards, and we were successful. We did develop an algorithm that can do just that. An algorithm is simply a series of mathematical steps to produce a solution. And computer algorithms are useful because computers are very good at slavishly following the instructions, no matter how complicated. And so we're starting to see algorithms uh, all over the world doing very intelligent things online because they can be such a powerful tool. Um, in the case of murder, uh, we're looking for clusters of similar murders in similar locations that had a very low clearance rate. And... Um, History tells us that quite often that that effect can be the result of a serial killer who has been successful in a, a, a evading arrest. But the algorithm only works if you have all the data. Um, you can go to our, um, our website at murderdata.org and you can uh, download our data. You also have an interactive uh, interface with the data. Um, you can also uh, have an interactive um, uh, experience with our uh, algorithm. You can also download the algorithm. Uh, everything we do is open source. 
Uh, we won't be happy until our data are on every computer in the world. That will never happen. But we are as open as we possibly can be about this information because we think it's so so important for people to understand murder. It certainly is. And the more the public can use this, the better. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about what you just talked about. You're telling me that the police are not required to report to any federal agency anything about their murders, correct? Correct. Uh, it is a, it so, is a voluntary reporting system. Do they have to report to anybody? Because we always see in the newspaper, uh, Salt Lake City, crime rate, murder rate down 10% this year. Well, how would they know unless they got it? Do they just accept what the police tell them and then write it? Or is there any any sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, checking plan to, to check if what they're saying is, is the truth? Well, by and large, police uh, are very professional, and, and they uh, they don't lie. They uh, they tell the truth and the records um, in a fairly complicated uh, reporting system. I mean, uh, mistakes get made, but by and large, um, we do know uh, the sweep of murder in the United States. How many there are, whether or not they're being solved. And as to police being truthful, if they weren't being truthful, then why do they report data that increasingly make them look bad? That over time, in the last 50 years, the rate at which we solve murder has been declining uh, for a, a lot of reasons, primarily because insufficient resources are being provided to police. But the rate at which we solve a murder now is only about 60% of the time. It used to be 90% of the time uh, 50 years ago. Uh, there, are, there are challenges to police that you don't see on, um, on your favorite crime show on primetime television. Uh, a growing number of cities in America experience a very unfortunate trend, which is most murders go unsolved. Um, it's that way in Chicago. It's that way in a growing number of places that most killers get away with it. And that's a, a very alarming trend. We're pretty sure that the police are telling us the truth, because if they were to lie, the, the, the picture would look rosier. It doesn't. OK, that makes sense. But now you have to get this information from them and also from the FBI. You mentioned a lawsuit. I found this absolutely fascinating that you actually had to sue to get this information. Tell us what happened with that. How did that come about? Okay, well, um, most of the uh, agencies that we negotiate with, uh, we don't have to sue. Uh, we, we voluntarily get from the states of Alabama and, and Florida um, uh, case files. So um, we didn't have to go to court. Uh, we were able to convince the District of Columbia uh, to uh, resume voluntary reporting of, of homicide information. We did have to go to court in Illinois, uh, and we were partially successful. We were able to obtain hundreds of murder cases that uh, they did not report to the FBI, and they have uh, resumed reporting case information to the FBI. We just discovered that uh, among the non-reporting agencies is every law enforcement agency with the federal government. Uh, they do not report to the supplemental homicide report or to the uniform crime report. Uh, Wait, who doesn't, uh, who doesn't, I'm sorry, who doesn't report? You broke up just a little bit. Yeah, uh, we've discovered that every federal law enforcement agency does not report 
uh, to the uh, Uniform Crime Report or the Supplemental Homicide Report. That's that's the FBI, that's the uh, ATF, that's uh, NCIS, and all of the the military um, police organizations. None of them report murders uh, to themselves, essentially, to um, to the FBI's official accounting of major crimes, including murder. Um, we just found this out, and uh, we're in the process of trying to fix this. We don't understand why that happened, because Congress actually passed a law in 1988 uh, called the uh, Federal Uniform Crime Reporting Act of 1988, which mandated that all federal agencies, including uh, law enforcement agencies with the Department of Defense, that everybody who has the capacity to investigate a major crime shall report to the Uniform Crime Report. Um, that seems to be an incredibly disrespected law that nobody complied with it. And so uh, we may have to go to court on that one, um, asking a federal judge to order federal police to report uh, to the Uniform Crime Report and the Supplemental Homicide Report. We're hoping that doesn't happen. We're in negotiations with members of Congress and with, um, uh, we hope, uh, the, the bureaucracy. Uh, we haven't heard any response yet. We sent a letter to uh, FBI Director Ray, Christopher Ray, and to other uh, law enforcement officials um, advising them of this law, and we're hoping to um, start to obtain data from the federal government. But are the police on board? Most of the uh, agencies that we negotiate with, uh, we don't have to sue. Uh, we, we voluntarily get from the states of Alabama and, and Florida um, uh, case files. So um, we didn't have to go to court. Uh, we were able to convince the District of Columbia uh, to uh, resume voluntary reporting of, of homicide information. We did have to go to court in Illinois, uh, and we were partially successful. We were able to obtain hundreds of murder cases that uh, they did not report to the FBI, and they have uh, resumed reporting case information to the FBI. We just discovered that uh, among the non-reporting agencies is every law enforcement agency with the federal government. Uh, They do not report to the Supplemental Homicide Report or to the Uniform Crime Report. That's the FBI, that's the uh, ATF, that's uh, NCIS, and all of the the military um, police organizations. None of them report murders uh, to themselves, essentially, to um, to the FBI's official accounting of major crimes, including murder. Um, We just found this out, and uh, we're in the process of trying to fix this. With the expanded database. We've we've worked with the um, Criminal Justice Information Services Division of the FBI. They're based in uh, West Virginia, and they are just wonderful to to work with. Um, They have a hard job, and there's not enough of them. It's, uh, the process of counting things is hard. I can, I can vouch for that. And um, they, they seek to get uh, voluntary data from police departments that are willing to participate voluntarily. Uh, they can't get any tougher than just to ask, please. Um, but they do, they do a good job, and the data they give us is, is wonderful, and they give it to us first. Um, they, they are very, very 
good to work with. They recognize that our website is being used by law enforcement, mm-hmm. and um, they give us uh, first access when new files become available. Well, by and large, police uh, are very professional, and, and they uh, they don't lie. They uh, they tell the truth and the records um, in a fairly complicated uh, reporting system. I mean, uh, mistakes get made, but by and large, um, we do know uh, the sweep of murder in the United States, how many there are, whether or not they're being solved. With the expanded database, Tom created an algorithm to mine the data, looking for patterns in murder clusters across the country. Yeah, the first time the algorithm was ever run was in 2010 in the summer. And um, we didn't know whether the algorithm was producing useful information. We programmed it to, um, uh, to be able to identify what at the time was the worst known serial killer in American history. That was uh, Gary Ridgway, the uh, Green River killer in the Seattle area. He was convicted in a court of, court of law for uh, murdering 48 uh, uh, girls and women. Uh, in the Seattle area, uh, many of the bodies were uh, deposited near or along the um, the Green River. That's how he got his name. Um, so we programmed a computer that would um, eventually tell us that something awful happened in Seattle in the eighteen in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. And so when that worked, when the algorithm was telling us about Green River, it was telling us about uh, dozens, actually uh, hundreds of other highly suspicious clusters. Uh, some of them were even larger than the Green River cluster. And the question was, well, what are these? And so we picked uh, 10 of the largest clusters and we called local police. And um, in many cases, these were already known serial killers. In, in Los Angeles, there were actually five separate serial killers who were killing women, mostly African-American women, with handguns. They were quite independent of each other, um, and yet they were uh, doing the same thing, killing over and over again and uh, getting away with it at least for a while. Um, that caused a huge blip uh, in the data, and the algorithm caught that. We had other clusters around the country. One of them was um, in uh, Gary, Indiana, a cluster of 15 uh, strangulations of of women, mostly mostly young women, um, none of them solved. And um, we called the Gary Police Department, and they assured us that there was no um, unsolved serial murder in Gary and would not entertain uh, the possibility that they were wrong. Um, when we developed the names and narratives of these 15 women, uh, we came back to them and said, are you sure these are unsolved cases? They, they look quite, quite similar. And they stopped talking. Uh, they would not entertain uh, any questions. They would not uh, consider the possibility that there was an active serial killer. We published our results although we sweated about it. Uh, I actually sent registered letters to the mayor of Gary and to the police chief saying, look, if, if there's something you should tell us, you better tell us quickly. We're about to publish a story saying there's an active serial killer in, in Gary, Indiana. We heard nothing. 
And so um, uh, we published, and in 2014, uh, Hammond police next door to Gary, Indiana, were summoned to a Motel 6, and they found in the bathtub in one of the rooms 19-year-old Africa Hardy. Um, They were able to make an arrest quickly, uh, Darren Dion uh, Band. And as sometimes happens with these guys, he confessed, you got me. I've been at this for a while. I've been killing back uh, into the mid-1990s. And he took police into Gary where uh, he showed them where he had um, hidden six other quite recent victims, homicide victims the Gary Police Department knew nothing about, whom he had all strangled. Um, those were uh, those six plus Africa Hardy makes seven, at least seven women that he killed after I had tried to warn Gary that there was an active serial killer. When three women disappear in Santa Ana, California, without a trace, it takes one bold, unwavering detective to seek justice. Detective Julissa Trapp has always wanted to be a cop, but she's the only woman on an otherwise all-male homicide squad. But uh, she does her job in ways that you and I would probably say is unconventional, perhaps. There's a brand new podcast from Wondery and the Los Angeles Times. In this podcast, Detective Trapp takes you right into the life of a cop who conducts herself relentlessly. Hosted by award-winning journalist Chris Gofford, Detective Trapp is the story of a detective who fights through her many personal battles. And, of course, she has to deal with society's indifference to murder, especially three missing women. She goes through all of this and is still able to bring a killer to justice. Trapp's strongest resource for catching a dangerous criminal? personal experience. While listening, make sure to subscribe to Detective Trap on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening right now. You can also find the link in the episode notes. Can the unsolved murders in Chicago be seen in data? And what is being done about it? Our algorithm, if you go to uh, murderdata.org and click on a tab uh, called Murder Clusters, and uh, click on the county uh, clusters, uh, you'll see um, dozens of circles uh, all over the country. But two of the largest are a circle over Cleveland and a circle over Chicago. Uh, The Cleveland case was what you and I both worked on. The Chicago cluster um, is is, um, a large number of unsolved murders of women who were either strangled or asphyxiated in the city of Chicago, and very few of those cases were solved. Uh, There actually have been three rounds of press stories about that cluster. Um, It uh, it, it started when I I was at a journalism conference in Phoenix uh, four years ago, three years ago, and I told a large room uh, of journalists that there are too many unsolved strangulations in Chicago when we were talking about the algorithm. And um, the, the, one of the first was, uh, was a, a, a package in the Chicago Tribune. Um, they started investigating. And then uh, there was a call from HBO Vice News at about the same time. And um, they were aware of the, the pattern. And um, the, the Vice News report actually beat the Chicago Tribune report, although the Chicago Tribune had been working the, the case first. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but uh, it was obvious to to both groups that something god awful had happened. Uh, the Chicago Tribune published the uh, HBO Vice uh, did a, a package uh, about these overwhelmingly unsolved strangulation and, as, and asphyxiation murders. And we had a conversation uh, with the Chicago police. Um, I and uh, Eric Witzig, my vice chairman, who used to hunt serial killers who were living with the FBI. We had mm-hmm. a conversation with Chicago police, and, uh, and it was a pleasant conversation. We explained that we're pretty certain there are at least one active and maybe more than one active serial killer in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. And we gave them a, a list of victims, and our, our, we even have a theory as to where the guy lives, um, because there's a, a, a desert where there aren't very many uh, body recovery sites but located between Chicago's west and south side. He might mm-hmm. live there or work there, uh, but nothing seemed to happen. And then CBS came along, the uh, Channel 2 CBS affiliate in Chicago, uh, uh, Pam Zekman, a very feisty, uh, decades-long reporter in Chicago. She's an institution, and she did a series of stories. And that mm-hmm. finally ignited things. Uh, there was political interest, and um, there was uh, a response from uh, Chicago police. They decided to um, assemble a task force. Detectives were being assigned uh, to review these 51 murders of women, uh, the FBI was consulted, and um, the FBI is um, participating in this task force. Uh, the uh, the superintendent of uh, police, Eddie Johnson, has instructed that they attempt to review what evidence still exists to see if they can uh, provide additional testing. And ultimately, it's a resource problem on all of the elements of unsolved murder that increasingly uh, murders are, are unlikely to be solved, and that's because of lack of funding. Although the Murder Accountability Project was created to compel police departments to report their crime data and clearance rates, what has been the response to the outside help? The Chicago Police Department are, are really quite pleasant to deal with. In fact, they always have been. Um, no cop wants to hear that he has a serial killer in his community. Nobody wants that. There is a politics to serial killing, and it's not good. And so, you know, that's perfectly understandable. Um, mm-hmm. But the Chicago Police Department is now quite uh, quite sincere in their attempts to review these cases. Um, I, again, though, it was necessary to be able to put together a, um, uh, a list of who the victims were. You don't have the names of the victims in the FBI files. Um, but, uh, when you do put names and narratives to these crimes, in the words of one Chicago detective, any reasonable person upon reviewing these cases would agree that these are probably serial murders. And your listeners uh, can review the, what I'm about to tell them, too. If you go to uh, our, our website at murderdata.org and look at the second news item, uh, you'll see it's about the Chicago cluster. And uh, at the bottom of that item, click here and you can download the report that we did for the Chicago City Council. And so it's a, it's a, a seven-page report. It's kind of in- interesting. When names and narratives are put to these 51 deaths, um, you, you really, really uh, have no doubt 
that that there was a common killer in, in many, probably most, nearly all of these uh, women. Um, the women were overwhelmingly over their body recovery sites were overwhelmingly found out of doors. Ninety four percent of the time, the the body recovery site was out of doors or in an abandoned uh, building. That's pretty unusual. Um, they were um, they were uh, a majority of them were found uh, either nude or partially disrobed. Uh, or um, their their clothing was uh, tampered with so that their the, the female form was was uh, exposed. Um, these were clearly sexual crimes. In addition, uh, in a great many of these women had recent sexual uh, contact uh, and uh, sexual activity, and not mm-hmm. uh, always voluntary sexual activity. Um, these were in many of these cases, these were clearly rapes. Um, there is um, there is a, uh, an interesting pattern to the killing fields. There are three in Chicago. On the west side, on the south side, which is the largest, and the extreme south side, which is the smallest. In in the case of the south side cluster, um, there is a real interesting linearity uh, to it. Uh, nine of the murders seem to form a nearly perfect line as if a killer were driving a route looking for um, victims and finding them uh, along oh, the road. Okay. Or, mm-hmm. And so, um, in fact, we did a map, uh, and you can, you can see the, uh, the geographic pattern for yourself, um, that these were clearly sexual crimes, mostly involving uh, prostitutes, or uh, women with habitual drug use, or both. Mm-hmm. And uh, women, you know, sex uh, s- uh, sex workers and drug addicts are the primary targets of many serial killers. You know, and so that these are overwhelmingly prostitutes or uh, drug addicts is also an extreme telltale. Um, but the, mm-hmm. the biggest telltale is that this is a large cluster of murders that were not solved. Uh, most of the time in Chicago, when a, when a woman is murdered, uh, somebody's arrested because mm-hmm. uh, female murders are easily solved uh, compared to male murders. Because usually women are, are murdered by an, an intimate, a boyfriend, a husband, mm-hmm. someone who lives in the house. It's a short right. list of suspects. But these women, these 51 women who were strangled and asphyxiated, they were almost certainly killed by strangers or by persons that did not know very well. That's why the body recovery sites were all out of doors. I mean, these were not, these were not intimates who knew each other. These were, these were right. you know, sex workers plying their trade, and they were paying a horrible price for it. Mm-hmm. And in America, we kill within our race. If you tell me the race of a murder victim... I'll guess that the killer was the same race, and I'll be right mm-hmm. 87% of the time. So uh, three-quarters of the women were, um, were African-American, and one-quarter were white or Hispanic. And um, I really, really think that there's a white killer and a black killer. That's just my opinion. Um, but... Um, I think I think the wisdom with the Chicago detectives, one detective told me, we're probably dealing with 
two or three multiples, he said, multiples mm-hmm. meaning multiple victim killers, two or three multiples. And I think that's a pretty good guess. It's not impossible that it's one guy. It's just unlikely. Right now, there is no proof of a serial killer, but um, there is general agreement that these cases need to be taken a hard look at, that the odds that um, these are 51 separate killers is just hard to imagine. Um, mm-hmm. There is, There are serial killers active in Chicago, and this pattern is probably going to continue until this guy or these guys are caught. While the murder algorithm demonstrates homicide clusters by geography, not all serial killers stay in one place. Sam Little. Sam Little is a serial killer who has been in the news recently after he was convicted of killing three women. Little admitted to strangling dozens more women across the country, starting in the 1970s. His estimate is that he killed 90 women, and nobody nobody argues with him. Nobody's calling him a liar. Uh, they've been able to, through hard forensic evidence, uh, tie him to 34, and uh, they're still working the forensics on 24. If those work out, and they're pretty sure it will, that makes him mm-hmm. um, the, the most dangerous serial killer in American history. And nobody's calling him a liar about his claim of 90. Mm-hmm. Um, he, um, he checks a lot of boxes for our algorithm. Uh, our algorithm says that uh, the, the largest suspicious cluster is in Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, a series of 100 strangulations in Atlanta. Well, Little says, oh, yeah, I killed three women in Atlanta and four women uh, outside of Atlanta in, in Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. His largest killing field seems to be California, which also is the largest number of suspicious um, strangulation. Well, all strangulations are suspicious, mm-hmm. but clusters. Uh, there are a great many clusters of, um, of str- uh, strangled women where hardly any of the, the murders were cleared. And... Um, uh, Little checks those boxes for us. These are marginalized women, and they had been uh, disowned by their families long ago. That's how you get to become a streetwalker, um, that you mm-hmm. don't have. You, you never pick prostitution as a career. It picks you. You, you feel right. you have no options. So mm-hmm. uh, had these women had a supportive family available to them, they would not have ended up dead, I'm, I'm sure, because they wouldn't have become a prostitute. What else is the reason behind low clearance rates? I think it really is that simple that um, we're primarily looking at a, a problem of resources. Uh, if, you, if you download our data and you look at the rate at which murders get solved and you look at um, the broad sweep of economic wellness in America, there has been a decline in the, um, in the rate at which murders get solved in New Jersey. And I believe that is economically driven. Resources are a problem, but there are there are many other elements to it. Um, there has been a change in the nature of who gets murdered in America. Back in the '70s, um, the uh, the typical murder victim was white. Now, in the uh, uh, late 2010s, the typical victim is black. There is um, a sense of calculation as to what the amount of resources should be given to law enforcement. And I'm afraid that since there has been a decline in the murder rate, and that's true, therefore you can have a, um, 
uh, have a benefit by cutting back on law enforcement, which unfortunately is not a good idea. Um, the courts have been effective at responding to crimes of passion. So the first time a man beats up his wife, um, he's going to be spending quality time with uh, psychiatrists and uh, in court explaining himself um, that the, the system has gotten far more proactive than it used to be about mm-hmm. domestic violence. And so domestic mm-hmm. murder is declining. What that leaves are uh, stranger crimes, crimes between people who don't know each other well, one of them being a criminal and the other being a victim. But um, mm-hmm. those are, by definition, harder to solve. There are a lot of indicators, a lot of factors that make murder harder to solve. Certainly that we're pulling back on resources at a time when many governments uh, at uh, city and county and state are fiscally challenged um, is a mm-hmm. major contributing factor. But there, there, are, there, are, there are political factors. Um, do, how much money do we want to give if the typical murder victim is African-American? That's a factor. Um, mm-hmm. how, much, how much resources should we give when um, the, most of the people doing the dying are involved in street gang violence? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a sense that, well, why should we be paying for that? Let them kill themselves off. Ultimately, it does come down to dollars. And I'm afraid that's what we're seeing, that kind of political calculation as to how much resources shall be given to law enforcement. And the consequence of underfunding police departments is more murder. Because there is a declining rate at which we solve murders in America, there's a consequence to allowing uh, murders to go too unsolved. Um, the growing number of cities uh, are in a situation where most killers are still walking in the street. And when that happens, not surprisingly, the killing, the murder rate goes up. The killing goes on. Uh, unsolved murder begets more murder. Um, that happens because the killer got away with it and he's available to kill again. But also it happens because he's a walking, talking testament that there are no sanctions to murder, so he inspires others to murder. And thirdly, uh, he got away with a murder, and if there's someone who cares about that victim, since the police aren't going to arrest him, it's up to them to take uh, the law into their own hands. And so Mm -hmm. a revenge killing is the only justice available. All of those things factor into uh, a spiral of of violence that we've seen in places like Detroit and Chicago, where uh, only a fraction of murders get solved and the murder rate gets worse. Without a doubt, web sleuths can play a role in helping bring justice for these marginalized victims. It's a wonderful community that you've built, and they can be extremely helpful. They, it was your people who were able to put names and narratives to what we still believe is a, a, a series of two or three serial killers uh, in Cleveland. Um, it was not an easy job. Um, just because we have uh, basic information from the, uh, from the FBI or from police departments directly doesn't mean that uh, we have a blueprint as to what happened. It's necessary to find out exactly who the victim was. We know that there was a 32-year-old woman who was strangled in Cleveland in June of uh, 2015. But who was that? And what were the circumstances of that crime? And that's what the web sleuths were able to do. Uh, They were able to figure out 
using public sources like online newspaper uh, records, uh, they were able to uh, put names and narratives to those cases, and that was very, very valuable. I guess what we could use are some people that would be willing to do what web sleuths have done in the past, which is to look at some of the suspicious clusters and try to put names and narratives to those victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quite often when that exercise is done, um, you you come away with uh, an understanding, yes or no, are these probably serial murders? Sometimes you realize they probably aren't. But most of the time, Mm -hmm. uh, the algorithm is pointing to a cluster that truly is suspicious. But you really don't know that until you until you um, develop the narratives and and the the identities of the victims. And so people who are willing to do that, uh, to literally be armchair detectives using uh, nothing more fancy than Google, but spending hours at it. Um, mm-hmm. might be able to um, to uh, do something important. So we're always looking for volunteers willing to do that. Um, you can go to our um, our website at murderdata.org, and you can uh, download our data. You also have an interactive uh, interface with the data. Um, you can also uh, have an interactive um, uh, experience with our uh, algorithm. You can also download the algorithm. Uh, everything we do is open source. Uh, we won't be happy until our data are on every computer in the world. That will never happen. But we are as open as we possibly can be about this information because we think it's so so important for people to understand murder. It certainly is. And the more the public can use this, the better. You guys are wonderful, and thank you so much. Would you like to learn more about low clearance rates and unsolved murders in your community? Simple. Go to murderdata.org. See how you can help. Now's your chance. Murderdata.org. My thanks to Thomas Hargrove for taking the time to talk with our Web Sleuths community. And I want to thank all of you, citizen sleuths out there, for giving your valuable time and energy to help bring justice for victims and closures for families. I love you all. Thank you. The Web Sleuths True Crime Forum has truly been a passion for me and for so many of our members. I hope it holds a place in your heart, too. The Web Sleuths community has tracked evidence, chased down leads, identified bodies, and helped with some of the country's most difficult cases. Web Sleuths members donate their time and expertise, not for the recognition, but for the satisfaction of investigating true crimes and making a difference for the families of the victims. Through Patreon, you're able to contribute to WebSleuths.com and the WebSleuths Radio Podcast to help us produce more and more episodes like this one. Your contributions will unlock exclusive content and bonus episodes made especially for our true crime junkies. My name is Trisha Griffith. I'm the owner of WebSleuths True Crime Forum and host of WebSleuths Radio Podcast. And I am sincerely grateful for the opportunity to spend time with you and get to know you. Thank you for being a part of Web Sleuths.